Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Oh, yes, you did. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker. Somewhere in the Los Angeles area, where industry and nature work hand-in-hand to create a better life for all of us, the following program is produced with an artistic vengeance. It's cranky. <laughs> That's what that means. I'm getting cranky. I'm getting held. I'm just getting better out of shape myself. Magic, Matt Allen. <coughs> well, that was not me. That was not me. That was, no, that was that? Not Mark C.G. Boyer Mark again? Mark C.G. Boyer. It used to be the microphones went out in the first 90 seconds. Now Mark goes out the first 90 seconds. By the way, he goes all day without clearing his throat. He waits until waits. the mic is on. I knew right. it. I, I knew you were going to say that because it's the truth. That's you know, They've taken the term passive-aggressive out of the psychological textbooks. They've simply replaced it with the term asshole. <laughs> And a picture of Mark C.G. Boyer. Hey, 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 hey. And an audio clip of him coughing. Uh, where was I? Oh, I was oh, there now on the radio. I, you know, I always bust you every week on using the word nestle. Yeah. Why do you continue to do that? So you'll bust me. Okay. <laughs> right. Just check. It's called giving the audience a false sense of security. I'll tell you what, By though. repetition. That, uh, that bit never gets old. No, never. <laughs> nestle? That your boomerang bit. Oh, the boomerang bit's one of the greatest of it all time. It is. It's one of the greatest yeah. bits of all time. Yeah, no question. Maybe if we if we run short today, like uh, the Oscars, we'll ask uh, Magic Ben Allen to, to do that routine. That was the best Oscars ever because the no host thing works. <laughs> yeah, it worked perfectly. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to miss the host because they're never coming back. <laughs> yeah. No need. Yeah. No need. I always felt sorry for the host, especially David Letterman. Oomba, Oprah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I expected him to be the best, and boy, that was wrong. Oh, no. Jerry Lewis was probably the best because it ended 20 minutes early. The year he did. We have a guest, don't we? Yes, That's we have right. a wonderful guest, but i got to do the setup on this. Yeah. Uh, this is a great a synchronicity of events coalescing and brilliance being manifest in broadcasting. Did you use a synchronicity and coalesce in the same sentence? Yes, and they're going to use contumacious in a sentence. I'm leaving. <laughs> this is too... too, too. I, think, I think he's being a tad verbose and obstreperous. <laughs> yes, and prolix and verbose, both. Uh, bewitched, be, uh, uh, Bothered uh, and bewildered, which yeah, I think exactly. our guest is about now, but I... <laughs> I guess it's going to be Joe Bruno. It's going to be. It's going to be. He's, he's deciding whether or not he wants to hang up the phone or not yeah. now. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, thank yeah, goodness. Yeah, he's hey, there. Joe. He's there. Now, uh, several things happened this uh, this week culminating in the publication of Joe's new book, which we'll get to momentarily. But the intelligence report, Rage Against Change, came out. The, uh, the 30%, give or take, increase in active hate groups in the United States, as opposed to the ones that are just on the Internet making a lot of noise. They don't count. You have to have, like, real members and real do real stuff. 30% up. So, uh, except uh, in New Mexico, there are no hate groups in New Mexico. I just hate that. I know. Well, I, I, just I, a second. Uh, funny. Okay, <laughs> I think there is a great opportunity to get it on the ground floor of the hate industry in New Mexico <clears throat> if we uh, play mm. our cards right on that one. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, for, for ever since I was old enough to put two or three words together lucidly and to be able to type, uh, I've been fascinated with propaganda. I came across, and Joe, you'll enjoy this, a brilliant piece of crap written... <laughs> 
written by somebody that the crux of the biscuit, what the point that we're trying to make is there's nothing worse than that horrible leftist idea of presumption of innocence. <laughs> In Canada, those damn progressives have got it now where people are presumed innocent. Until proven guilty in a court of law. We have to change that immediately. How was how how that? Um, how did they do it? No, no. How how was that a leftist notion? You you weren't around, I guess, for the uh, for the Supreme Court debacle, right? Our newest um, Oh, what's member. his name? Yeah. What yeah, about him? You weren't around? I was around, yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, I was around. And you have to be. I guess, I guess you didn't watch it. Then. No, I watched it. Oh, you did? But yeah. That, but that's, that didn't slip oh, by but me. The le- but the left believes in the presumption of innocence. It should be. Mm. You should have presumption oh, okay. of innocence. E- even I. Just even I. <laughs> even I. Just check. Even, even yeah. I. I mean, I'm regarded as being just to the left of Ho Chi Minh, and yeah. I believe in the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. I hope you yeah. understand what we're saying here. Yeah. No. Ho Chi Minh yes. called, by the way, he wants his act back. <laughs> I, lo- I love this Chinese restaurant in Chinatown. I used to eat there all the time. You used to eat there at the Ho Chi Minh? Yeah, I was there like three days a week. <laughs> the best fried rice in Chinatown. Yeah, I bet I'm from, it was. I'm from New York City, Chinatown, literally, so I know Chinese food. Yes, you do. Yeah, well, he knows in, more about Chinese fact, food. Well, in New York, they know more about Chinese food than they do anywhere in the world. It's just like London food. knows more about uh, Indian food. What? Indian. Never had Indian food in my life. Yeah, never had Indian food. You're not my whole life. Chinese food in New York. Now you you had to say that because now I'm drifting. Now off. you're now you're <laughs> off into the ozone, <laughs> yes. aren't you? Yes. Yeah. See, now we got a real probably got one, two, counting Joe. That makes three professional journalists and a schmuck and a schmuck over here, Mark C.G. <laughs> Boyer. So that makes three Jews. No waiting. I don't know what Bruno's background is, but he sounds like he's from New York. Uh, he just got finished telling you he's from New York. I knew that. It sounds like. He knows yeah. a lot about boxing, too. So you got to watch out. He's got a mean uppercut, that guy. Uh, it used to be, back in the days when you and I were active journalists instead of pundits, <laughs> that uh, you had to verify your sources. Is that right, Joe? I mean, like, if I was going to say something like uh, Mark C.G. Boyer coughs on the air, I should have... Well, you had to have... To, you know, I mean, as far back as I started... In, I was a journalist starting like it's 1975. I know I don't sound that old, but I am. And um, you had, your editor would never let you write an article unless you could verify that your facts were two independent sources. Right. Nowadays, you can go even to the New York Times. They use no sources, and they say uh, somebody, un- unidentified um, informant or... They, they, they purposely don't mention the person because nine times out of ten, there is no such person. Like Nick Sackle. Yeah. You can make up any, anything you want in newspaper business right now and say, an unidentified source told me, and it gets published. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I heard that from an un- unidentified source. <laughs> okay. How do you know the guy that the writer is in the unidentified source himself? See, there's two different, different ways. This, and this really bothers me because it's just more divisive, more divisive as you start making crap up on both sides of the fence. So, so what both of you are saying is there is no truth. Oh, truth exists. And where? Uh, as Buddha said, truth is not a matter of opinion. Truth can be investigated and ascertained with two verifiable sources. Right, they also say you, you're entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Right. That's, I'm a fact chaser. Uh, Mark C.G. Boyer is our fact checker. Yes, I am. That's because he used to work at QFC. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> what, like what? What facts no, are you bringing us today? KFC. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you just sit in KFC. What? Uh, 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 what facts do you have for us today? And we... Excuse me. I just choked on my Manhattan. When uh, when we were active journalists, and I guess maybe we still are in a way, including you, Joe. You write books. You just had one come out today. Is it? Uh, does it make you crazy that the journalistic ethics to which we once all subscribed and paid our dues seems to have gone by the cosmic wayside? Well, yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, even a paper like the New York Times, which is one of the greatest papers in the history of the world, it's almost unreadable now. And used to be just the opposite. Exactly. When back in 1965, shows how old I am, when I was uh, studying under Professor Bill Shadell at the University of Washington, one of the things he had us do was get the Seattle uh, Times and the New York Times and put the exact same story side by side. The Seattle Times would print the rumor. The New York Times would print the, the, the truth. And at the bottom, yeah, the it, Times is always the best. Yeah. Not anymore. No. No. Well, it's not even close now. Did they outsource it to uh, Sun Young Moon or somebody? I don't know. I, I used to work for Sun Young Moon. How was it? He come by and bless you? Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. Please do. I was a sports columnist for the News World, which later became the New York Tribune, which was owned by the Unification Church, Sung Young Moon. Right. And the night, it was 19, I guess, 81, he married uh, 30,000 couples in Madison Square right. Garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that? Yeah, bad I do. I know it's a guy yeah, that married Yeah, he invited there. me. <laughs> I didn't go. But the day before the big marriage, he came into the newsroom. And I'm there now. The newsroom was half Moonies and half not Moonies. The sports department was mostly not Moonies, all right? So some of Moon walks in and you had to see the newsroom. Their faces lit up like they were like in some kind of a trance. And I said to my friend Jerry next to me, I said, hey, Jerry, see the guy just walked in? Tell him I want an order of fried rice and two egg rolls and ask him if he delivers. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how about it, but how did, how did that oh, go? Don't you disrespect Reverend Moon like that? <laughs> Man, oh, man, how'd that go for you? You know, I know. It was great because I, I was like the, the star columnist. So he came over to me and shook my hand. He said, you Joe Bruno? I said, yeah. Now, the Sun Young Moon, let me tell you a story now. Yeah. He was in jail for, for many years, in an American jail. I didn't and know that. And some guys I know from Little Italy were in jail with him. And they told me he was one of the toughest guys in jail. Nobody screwed with him in jail. I guess you had to be that way if you were him. Yeah, he, he was a especially tough guy. Well, he's, Most people wouldn't know that. Yeah, but look who he is, was, or will be. Yeah, this yeah well, he's dead a long time now. I know, he? I know. That's why I said. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't go to the funeral. He might set the record for the longest death. Well, I worked for them for seven years with the Unification Church. They used to sell flowers at the Holland Tunnel and the Lincoln Tunnel. Right. And they used to do like crazy things like sell fish. Well, they never asked me to do it. And I told them, do me a favor, stay away from me. <laughs> and for seven years, we got along great. Yeah, they didn't ask they you to go out. They well. <clears throat> What's that uh, movie? Did you ever see the film uh, Ticket to Heaven? No. Don't think so. Uh, get that movie. I think it stars the guy who's been the Dr. Pepper commercials, David Naughton. Uh, oh, yeah, he got uh, he got munched by a werewolf. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Thank you, Mark C.G. We have two verifiable sources for that. Uh, it was based on the book Left Moon right, Webs, right. which is about deprogramming uh, Moonies, but they were so afraid of giant lawsuits from Moon that they... Uh, Change the name. You know, call him some well, enchanted evening. But the, but the Moonies in the newspaper 
One day he's sweeping out toilets, uh-huh. and the next day they make him the editor of the newspaper. Uh-huh. I mean, it was crazy. When they moved, when it happened in 1980, it's 5 or 86, they closed the newspaper down and decided to move to Washington, D.C., and they bought, they became the Washington Times, which is a very, by the way, the, the News World, the Tribune, and the Washington Times, very conservative newspapers. Everyone was very conservative. And they asked me if I wanted to move to Washington, D.C. to be the sports editor. And I, you know, politely declined. But uh, the Washington Times now was just sold by the Unification Church to somebody else, and they no longer own it. But it's still a conservative newspaper. What about the Wall Street Journal? I get it every day. I know that. I love those little ink drawings on the front. But does uh, does well, it move? Let's talk about the Wall Street Journal. It, while their editorials tilt to the right, their news reporting and the rest of the newspaper is right down the middle. Well, that's a couple of things that the facts don't go left or right. Facts are facts. Isn't that the exactly, way it's Exactly. But if you read the same story in the New York Times, you wouldn't know that. See, uh, I, I read them both every day, the New York Times and the, and the Post, I mean, and, the, and the Wall Street Journal. The Times, not so much anymore because it's getting, getting ridiculous. It's like fiction. It's like reading Mad Magazine. Who owns the I mean, Wall Street? Who owns the Wall Street Journal? Isn't that? Uh, is uh, Murdoch, I don't know. Murdoch, the same Murdoch company owns Fox News, I think. What's that? I think the same company owns Fox News. Yeah. See, yeah. Well, Murdoch might own them. It's, it's Murdoch. It's Murdoch. Uh, which is is great that a, uh, a a person from another land owns one of the biggest newspapers in the United States of America. Well, he also owned the New York Post for the longest time. Where's it coming from? I live right across the street from the New York Post. So we, I used to hang out in the same bars that he used to hang out in. Now, what happens? Uh, Ruben Murdoch used to own the New York Post in the in the eighties. Yeah. And I was I lived right across the street in Nickabaca Village where the Rosenbergs were when they were arrested in 1950. Knickerbocker is right behind the New York Post building, which is one block from South Street, the water, the East River. And Rupert Murdoch had a lot of uh, Australian journalists. And one of them was uh, Steve Dunleavy, who was the editor of the paper, was a very close friend of mine. So I go out drinking with Steve quite often, and a couple of times he brought Rupert Murdoch along with him. Nice guy, you know, didn't say much, but, uh, you know, th- the fact that it's kind of kind of weird. he's not a conser- very strong conservative. What is he? Just a very strong crook. He's a cons- strong conservative. Now, didn't he get in trouble with that stuff over in England, hacking cell phones or something? That that was uh, his company, and his son ran the company at the time. Oh, see, those sons—they're the real problem. Yeah, the problem was between the son and the guy that he hired to be the editor. I forget the whole story, but he finally basically fired his son. Well, that was probably wise thinking. He should have done that six months earlier. He fired yeah, his so son? There was some, some kind of problem there. He fired his son. How did he fired his son. How does he well, do that? He didn't fire him. He relieved him of his duties as editor. I see. Did he gave him paid, paid to leave. Did he call him into his office and... <laughs> said, son, you're yeah. no, no son of mine. Yeah. Put him over his knee and he spanked him. Oh, that may be a family trait. By the way, I'm reading it right now. The Wall Street Journal is owned by a media magnate, Ruben Murdoch. Oh, yeah, purchased the company for $5 billion in 2007 through his company, News Corporation. Mm-hmm. Which is Fox. So he owns a lot of, a lot of stuff. Certainly yeah, he does. He does. and, and More uh, than Lady Bird Johnson did. We had to sell Fox, uh, the, the, the local Fox station in New York City, because there's a law, you, a federal law, you can't own two media outlets in the same city. Right, it's, uh, it's a protection Fox, uh, for free Fox, information. Uh, not Fox News, it was Fox, the local television, Channel 5. 
it was like it was like ABC, NBC, the local channel. Yeah. But he also, when he bought the New York Post, he had to sell the the, the radio station. I mean, the, the TV station. Well, now they do. They get around the uh, this law, of course, financially, with uh, what they call uh, LMAs, local marketing agreements. That's where you don't like the price at the radio station that uh, you're currently on, so you call their competitor, and the same salesman shows up. No. <laughs> Wait a second here. What happened to my choice? Choice. There's no choice. Well, that's the death of the business. Duh. Oh, thank you. Well, <laughs> Let's see how you. we can kill our business. I, I'm talking to the audience, not to you. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. I know you know. Yes, I apologize for that. Thank you. You're, you're more than welcome. I should be. Howard knows a lot about broadcasting. He does. I'm not kidding, Joe. He really does. Hey, well, what are you guys drinking right now? What are we I, just, I just cracked open a sun-kissed orange diet. I'm having a, 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 what do you call a, a Manhattan made with... Uh, Seagram 7 VO, so... You're doing much better than we are. If, if I get kind of stupid, you know why. Well, that's okay. We can get stupid without it. Although we are <laughs> broadcasting live from the Lighten Up Lounge, which looks exactly... You should come here sometime, Joe. It looks just like you're in a sleazy bar. And it is a sleazy bar. Uh, what do you call it? A, uh, it's a, an 1876 Virginia City, Nevada-style bar. It is, with real liquor. That's right. right. And alcohol. Yeah. We're sitting here in a bar. We're sitting around a table in a bar. And, uh, it's a it's a uh, it's a card table. Yeah. Poker yeah. table. Are you sitting at a table in a bar right now? Yeah. Yeah. We're in a bar. We're in a bar. Pour me a drink. And we're we're broadcasting from a uh, a uh, what do you call replica? It? A replica of the uh, no. It's it's a poker table. Uh, oh, oh, it's just a poker table. Yeah. yeah. But not a real bar. But it's a. Uh, it oh, looks it's, like what? It's set up no, exactly it, like it's what? It's made up like a real bar with uh, and there's all kinds of all available. Uh, yes, we, Magic Matt Allen, our producer. Yeah. You have a female bartender. Yes, and in an hour we will. Okay, good. <laughs> That's important. We don't have any dancing. No, I'm interested. <laughs> yes, oh, well, oh, you know. oh, you would like it here, Jim. You, you would. Yes, you would. Hey, you ever been to that noodle place just down from the uh, novelty store where that was in Gremlins? <laughs> what the name of it? What, the, <laughs> what city? Uh, New York. Oh, a new, I've been noodle place. I've been every noodle place in Chinatown. Oh man, I'll tell you, it's a great noodle place. It's a great noodle it's place. A great noodle place. You know the one, the one in New York. Yeah, the one in New York. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you ever order like fried rice, pork fried rice? I've done that. The rabbi was thrilled. In New York City, in Chinatown. Uh, sometimes. Why is it got cat meat in it? Absolutely. Well, well cats have meow. never, never. Not all of them. Not not all the rest. This, I'm not kidding. You. This is no baloney. Only the ones that cater to a specific. Chinese clientele from China, because in China, they love cat. Yeah, properly cooked. And it's legal to eat cats in China, so if you, you got to know which restaurant. Now, I have relatives, blood relatives that are Chinese, that have Italian cousins that marry Chinese girls. So their children, I have Chinese, they have Italian. And we always knew which restaurants don't go. Uh, or they do serve go. cat. Yeah. Now, right. I moved to Sarasota, Florida in 95. Yeah. I mean, a month. Big headline in the local newspaper. They arrested a Chinese guy in a refrigerated truck crossing the border into Florida with 3,000 frozen dead cats in his truck. Whoa. Bringing them to a Chinese restaurant in Sarasota. By, by, by the way, my cousins are named cats. Yeah. Hmm. I, have, I have Jewish cousins. I got Jewish cousins, too. See? There's Jews in China. If you're Italian and your cousin is Italian, married a Jewish girl, their children are Jewish. Yes. Right? Yes. 
Yes. So well, I got well, Jewish well, cousins. I got Puerto Rican cousins. I got Chinese cousins. I got Polish cousins. They talk about my kids. They're half Jewish and half Italian. Yeah, well, my cousins are, too. Yeah. So. We had a pope that was that way also, if I remember correctly. So they know how to steal the money and and make more with it. Well, one of them's a lawyer, and was, he used to be Chris Christie's lawyer in New Jersey. Well, he got out of that world again was good. Yeah. Went through, that happened in the tunnel, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was way before that. Yeah. Oh, before the tunnel. All right, but I kid, Michael Gerard. He was the, 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 one, of the, one of the lawyers that Chris Christie had. And yeah, I bet he had a plenty of them. Oh, yeah. Got, I, you know, I, I hear a lot of bad things about Chris Christie. No, Chris Christie, but, I, I've, I've met him a couple of times. A very, very decent guy. Isn't he? I yes. mean, he seems to be, but I, I, again, I, I think, I could be wrong, the left-wing media is out to get him. Well, because and he, they got him. They got they, him good. No, they, they got him because uh, somebody didn't want him running for president. Uh, Plus, he, don't, he didn't get along with uh, Trump's uh, son-in-law, uh, Kushner. Yeah, there's a guy for you. No, I always you wondered. Why? 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 Tell us. He, he, uh, when Chris Christie was the attorney general of the state of New Jersey, he arrested and prosecuted Kushner's father. Oh, convicted him, and he did like, I don't know, five, six years. He did time. That's, and, that's and to this day... Kushner's got a grudge against Chris Christie. So when Trump won the election, Christie was supposed to be one of the cabinet members. Right. And the son told his father, you can't. I hate him. And that's what happened. Well, maybe he should have fired the son like... Uh... <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, and, and the son, I don't know if you noticed, is a lifelong Democrat. Yeah. And still is. Uh, what was it say? His, uh, the one son who's getting a divorce? That, that's uh, uh, well, the Donald Trump Jr. And the, 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 don't talk about the son-in-law. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm uh, turning the dial on the subject just slightly. The son, his wife uh, hired a lawyer, you know, for the divorce. She didn't hire a divorce attorney. She hired a criminal defense attorney. Well, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uh, trying to protect her she, little Thomas. Well, she kind of knows what she's doing. Yeah. She hired a criminal attorney. Yeah, yeah. a criminal defense isn't, attorney. Isn't that redundant? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. But I'm bump. Again with the attorney jokes. Yeah. My, my daughter's an attorney. My daughter's, my daughter's the president of the Sarasota Bar Association. And she might be the only lawyer I like. I have another, my best friend. I don't know if you know who he is. His name is Matthew J. Mary. He's um, he's got a radio show in New York City. He's he's represented every one of the boss of the five families of the mafia. Good for him. I bet he's making great money. That's a hell of an and account. It, it, no, they don't pay him. What do you mean he makes great money? They, they threaten you. How do you collect? <laughs> yeah, how does he collect? How do you Ask collect? nicely. I think he can so probably, if need be, if need be. They get other clients. In other words, we're not going to pay you, but we'll, let you we'll live. Get, make sure our guys use you. That's right. Yeah. It's a lost leader. Yeah. Kind of like a Jinsu carving knife. It's uh, amateur right bono. Now he's uh, representing uh, Junior Persico, who's the boss of the Colombo crime family, supposedly. And he's been in jail for 34 years. What's a lot about in 30? He's still in jail. Matthew's, Matthew's his lawyer. Boy, it cut him a great deal. Well, he actually got framed. He was in the commission case in 1986 that Giuliani prosecuted. And what they did, they got the five bosses of the five families and got them all on a RICO act. But Persico was not the head of the Colombo crime family. Somebody else was. Huh. So, and he still got convicted, and he still did 35 years. Is that all? <laughs> that all. It just doesn't stand on his head. Baby, baby. <laughs> Pardon me, that wasn't Mark Boyer that time. Uh... Couldn't he appeal on the basis of ineffective counsel? He, was, he, was, <laughs> he could if he didn't represent himself. 
Oh, no, he's a psychopath if he... If he, uh, he said that a lawyer, a person that hires... Himself. They use themselves as an attorney as a, as a fool for a lawyer. Fool for, for a, a client. client. And both. both. Fool for a client, right. So, but he, he, did, he did represent himself. But he would, he would they, Juliana had all, had all them, had so many rats. I mean, they, they got, they wrapped these guys, even, even Fat Tony Solano wasn't really the head of the family, the Genovese family. Somebody else was. They used, they usually, these guys are smart. The real bosses designate somebody to be like the, the hitman. Yeah. In other words, he's going to take all the heat from the, from the press. But the real boss is like hiding someplace. Yeah. When I was doing the uh, advertising promotion for the Aladdin uh, Hotel in Las Vegas, there was supposedly a guy running the Aladdin, but he wasn't. <laughs> this guy who was under indictment for murder in Detroit would fly out, land on the roof, <laughs> allegedly. He was the head of the Aladdin. Well, you know, they were in Vegas, but they were in those days, going back in the 50s, 60s, and Early maybe 70s. up until the 70s. The mob ran in Las Vegas. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they were very, I mean, it, I, it, it was better when the mob ran it. It was. I don't know. In my neighborhood. People limping in Las Vegas, <laughs> not leaving no, Las Vegas, limping Las Vegas. Two broken legs. Huh? It used to be. I mean, the attitude was: is you wanted the customer happy, so they go back and say, "I had a wonderful time in Las Vegas." Yeah. Plus, if someone was pickpocketing you, they were stealing money from the mob. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so but, yep. no pickpockets allowed. You Look, go, you go to Vegas. You tell the uh, the the guy taking your luggage up. Uh, tell you what, uh, I'd like a, a class A hooker and an A ball of coke. And uh, yep, <laughs> say 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 anything you want, but the best food in America is on the Strip in Vegas. Yeah, because they and it's reasonably priced, and because they just want you there. It used to be even beyond reasonable. Oh, remember they uh, the fifty cent uh, shrimp yeah, cocktails? Yeah, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. It was great. Not anymore. But the mob has been at it for 20, 25, 30 years now. And they're upset about it. Uh, yeah, the, the whole thing came crashing down when uh, Howard Hughes uh, bought the... Uh, the Desert Inn? The Landmark. Was that, was that the trigger? Yeah. Wasn't that in the 70s? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was the first corporation... Own a casino. Look, when the mob I had like their hit, though, the no, the mob had it. It ran perfectly. Now it's worse because guys worse than the mob. The corporations own. Yeah. It. Now the mob didn't have a long-term game plan financially. I mean, everything was like real short-sighted. But the customer was treated great. Yeah. Because the customer had the cash and they wanted it out of his pocket That's and they got right. it. And, and you get comp to everything. They would, they would get you comp your airfare, your room, all the shows free as long as you gambled. Yeah. I know I still get comp the rooms, which is, you know, nice. Uh, in fact, I'm going there this month and comp rooms. And I don't even gamble I had a friend that of mine. <laughs> they kept his clothes in a wardrobe in Vegas. You went there like maybe once a month and all his clothes were already laid out. Yeah. They, they'd wash them, they'd iron them. He had a butler. Him. He, had a, he had his own butler. <laughs> That's not a bad deal, you know. Hey, I just, you see the, the, uh, the new fancy top-of-the-line room uh, uh, in Las Vegas now is $200,000. Minimum two nights stay. Yeah, what, what, yeah, what, what do they have? They take two... food stamps. Yeah, they yeah, do. What do they have? Explain this room to me for two hundred thousand. It is very large. Yeah, it's at the, the top of the universe. Yeah, uh, 
It's got everything in it uh, from pop art to magnificent. Uh, they got to have a brand new car in there for them. They do, and she's lovely. And you Thank can you. drive Roxanne from one end car. of the apartment <laughs> to the other. It's kind of like Hangover, except without the Hangover. <laughs> that kind of money to put a, 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 a harem of broads. What was that? <laughs> a harem of broads. A harem of broads. Yeah. Like 30 girls I want. I can get that for 100 grand. Do you remember yeah. Furniture Girls? I can name that too to no notes. <laughs> Do you remember Furniture Girls from uh, Soylent Green? Oh, no, I don't, but it sounds delicious. Huh? Well, uh, they, they, they came with, the, with your apartment. The uh, young oh. lady would come with you. Oh, kind of like the Wind Girls. It's a win. You're familiar with that? Not me. Not you? I'm not intimately familiar with it, but they've got their own, so it's a staff of entertainment experts, and they get their, their uh, live there, and, uh, you know, very handy. Because they want to make money. Yes. The well, hotels. Now, here's a tip for those of you who are interested in going into the porn industry. Uh, oh, Okay. <laughs> And that is, they, they offer girls uh, their choice. Uh, we can pay for your apartment and pay for your car while you're under contract, or we can pay you money and you pay those. Hint, don't take the apartment and the car, because you ha could have your contract canceled at any moment, and there you are, homeless and carless. Take Remember, Carlos? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Always take the cash. Always take the cash. That's right. Except... Except if you are our friend Hank, who used to be in Car 54, where are you? When he was performing as a... Joey Ross or... Uh, no, no, no. Hank. Uh, Hank Ella. Fred Gwynn. No, Hank was his name. He was one of the regular on Car Hank? 54. That was one of the characters on Car 54. Ah. Uh, he was a performer like at the Catskill, you know, doing stand-up. I've been there, yeah. And it came time to get paid. Everyone was paid in cash except him. He wrote him a check. He's going, wait a second. Everyone else gets it. Hank, take the check. <laughs> take the check. So he takes Did the check. No, the check was good. The cash bounced. Al Lewis? Okay. <laughs> it was all counterfeit. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, take the check, Hank. <laughs> they like him. We like you. Take the check. <laughs> That's a true story. And I got two verifiable sources on that. And they would be who? Uh, Hank. I don't care. <laughs> He's the guy in Three Days of the Condor who played the postman. I don't care about that either. Oh, he wore Robert Redford's shoes. That's important. That is important. It wasn't Nipsey Russell. No, it wasn't <laughs> Nipsey Russell. I know Nipsey Russell used to be the wingman on Les Crane's program on ABC. We had the shotgun microphone. Remember that? I do. Yeah. One, uh, 13 weeks. Lasted longer than 13 weeks than then. 26. 26, yeah. Uh, he was married to Eve Crane. Okay. And uh, she and I were together with our eyes closed in an altered state of consciousness in Seattle one weekend. <sighs> Who cares? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Long time ago. Long time ago, back when the earth was young. Mm -hmm. So, meanwhile, getting back to the question of journalism, uh, I was reading an article a few years ago, about two years ago, I guess, that said, now we're really going to have service. That was the headline. <laughs> that... Uh, the, the the left, or shall we say the not-quite-right, uh, is learning from their opposition on uh, fake news, uh, uh, false headlines, even if the body of the text is correct. I say they like to, excuse me, that's like the, the uh, Center for Western Journalism, which isn't Center, maybe Western, but it's not journalism. It's kind of, you know... What are you mumbling about, Pearl? I'm talking about journalism. Okay, go ahead. Well, did you say fake news? 
Yeah, I said fake news. That's part of the title of your new that's book. That's not even my new book. Yeah, I know that. That's the fake news I'm talking Did about. Did you grab that title? Good for you. Wow, that's good. Good. There's a porn site called uh, Fake Porn. Hey. <laughs> Oh, could I bring that up? So this I think my ex-wife worked there. <laughs> Twice. Hey, remember remember when Woody Allen's ex-wife was raped? Do you remember that, mm -hmm. New York? Which which wife? Uh, the one who was uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. And Mia Farrow? No, Louise no, Lasser. one before that. Louise, Louise Lasser. Lasser. No, I don't know. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I can't remember the name. And the reporter uh, says to Woody Allen, uh, what do you have to say about your wife being ex-wife being violated? He says, knowing her, it wasn't a moving violation. Bing. Hey, you ever meet Woody Allen? Uh, no, I haven't. I have. Piece uh, of crap. Uh, uh, yeah. Let me tell you so. You ever hear of Lanes in New York City? Yeah. yeah. Lanes was like a big writer's yeah. hangout on the Upper East Side. Yeah. I'm in there one night with Vicky LaMotta, who's was, was, uh, Jake LaMotta's ex-wife, the one that was portrayed in the Raging Bull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and me and Vicky, I'm there with Vicky, and I'm there with the girl that played her in the movie, Kathy Moriarty. Oh, so I'm sitting, Woody Allen's table is right next to the, the entrance to the men's room. Mm, how convenient. So I'm sitting with Vicky and, and, and Kathy, and I got to go to the bathroom. So I get up to go to the bathroom, I pass him, and he follows me into the men's room. Mm. So I'm standing at one stall, he's standing at the next stall, we're both doing, you know, what we got to do. And he, I told him, I, like, I made a joke, I said, hey, we got to stop meeting like this, it looks bad. <laughs> Yeah. He gave me a dirty look, zipped the zipper, and ran right out of there. Maybe he thought you were hitting on him. No. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is he's just like a real, and everybody that knew him, creepy guy. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you get in those men's room situations with well-known people, and I always try to get the men's I mean, room in a bedroom. you got to at least laugh when somebody says that to you. Uh, well, Sir Ben Kingsley was in front if, of me. If you ever saw me, you would never think for one minute that I was gay. No, I would never guess. I'm like the last guy you would say is gay. That's the same with serial killers. <laughs> like, like, what's the guy's name? Bundy. Oh, yeah, we have a lot of Bundy people on our show. <laughs> so are we telling bathroom, famous people in bathroom stories? Yeah, I was going to tell my Ben Kingsley when I couldn't get past him. I said, excuse me, sir, sir. He looked at me very uh, surly. Surly, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. uh, go ahead, Howard. So I've, I've got uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke and uh, Carl Reiner uh, on uh, one on my left and one on my right at the uh, urinal? at the urinal. Yeah, and uh, we're all quiet. And then I go, "Well, that's one more check on my bucket list." <laughs> okay, I like that. I get nothing. Nothing. No, <laughs> nothing. And two seconds go by, and they both. So now that's funny. Yeah. That's, well, that's yeah. the way comedians are. They don't laugh. No, they, uh, yeah, but so comedians are the funniest people in the world when they're not comedians. No, I mean, uh, that's funny to me is huge. So that's fine. And it was well, Ruddy Dangerfield used to own a place uptown called Dangerfield. Yep. On First Avenue and 61st Street. And this, is, this is the 70s. And he wasn't famous then. He, before he made Caddyshack, he had been a Johnny Carson a couple of times. I owned a limousine business. And I, I met him one time at the downtown letter club where I was a member. And he says, uh, you own a limousine business? Says, yeah. He goes, well, look, take when you get proms and weddings, take it to my joint. I'll give the, the, to the driver an extra 20 on top of his tip. And I'll give him a steak dinner. And I'll make him sit at the bar, I'll talk his car for him, and I'll give him, you know, diet, soda, whatever, even no, no drinks. So we have to, I said, well, I'll go, you know. So whenever we, I had a prom 
or a um, wedding, I took him to the Dangerfields. And he would park my limousine, and I'd sit at the bar with him. And all he would do was complain about his bills. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you ain't going to believe this. Look, look at it. Look at my electric bill. Look, look at my rent. How much I'm paying over here. But he, at the time, he wasn't making money, though. Because the rent's up in 61st Street and 1st Avenue, astronomical. And he hadn't really been that. He was, you know, he was famous, but he wasn't big time. Yeah. When he made Caddyshack and he, uh, Easy Money, that's when he started making his money. But the, the most unfunniest guy in the world. Now, years later, about five years later, I run into him in Atlantic City, and I'm uh, working for Ring Magazine. I was a, I was a boxing writer for different police uh, newspapers, uh, the News World, but I was also working for Bird Sugar Ring Magazine. So me and Bird Sugar were walking, and he's Rodney Dangerfield. He comes over. And Dangerfield looks at me and goes, you look familiar. Do I know you? I said, you don't recognize me? He says, no. I thought you were in the limousine business. He says, what are you doing now? I said, I'm a, I'm a sports writer. He goes, you should have stuck to the limousine business. <laughs> <laughs> I get no respect. No respect at all. You used, uh, used to see him at his place all the time. And uh, actually, later on on Outlaw Radio, uh, Paul Brownstein would be here. and I, He and I would go to Dangerfields a lot and then go into Rodney's dressing room. And it was uh, a purple bathrobe. Once yeah, you got right. boom, purple. But you, right. you know, right? The purple yeah. bathrobe, and and then and, and the place is strewn with uh, yellow pads because he's writing crap all the time. And, yeah, uh, one liners up on uh, one side and up the other. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and then he had people doing it for him too. But but still, he um, yeah he uh, with the, the passing around the joint, no passing around. Mm. No, everybody gets their own. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those are the heydays of New York City uh, comedy clubs. There was another place called Catch a Rising Star. Did you ever go to Catch a Rising uh, Star? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did. Yeah, I was in now, that. Richard I, Belzer I, was the doorman. He, Richard Belzer, who later on was with NYPD Blue, and he, I think he's still acting at NYPD Blue. Very, very he close. Was, he's, 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 he's retired uh, from uh, Belzer. He was the doorman. He, not, not the doorman. He was like the, the greeter, and he would do a bit upstage. He would introduce everybody, and then he'd sit down at the bar, and he was the most miserable guy in the world. Uh, Bells and I are, are good friends, actually. He's 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 a really? very, yeah. He's a, a really nice guy, uh, but would I never saw him smile. Who Belzer? Yeah. yeah. But Paul's here. We're talking about Dangerfields, Paul. So <laughs> the first time I was in Dangerfields, the guy that I went with just walked in the bar. Um, Tell about the shrimp. About what? The shrimp. The shrimp. I heard you talk about uh, the sea. Bathrobe? Oh, yeah, 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 of course, yeah. Yeah, you know the bathrobe and the shrimp, yeah. Yeah. The shrimp? What's with the shrimp? Tell them the shrimp story. So, Dangerfields, there's a refrigerator that serves the kitchen. And you heard about Rodney in the bathroom, peeing in the sink, right? Yeah. Okay. He would then get up, and he would no thanks. He'd go out his door to the left, which, no mic's off. Yeah, get on, get, get right on that thing. And he would open the refrigerator, and on the bottom shelf was this large plastic tub with the shrimp for the shrimp cocktail, which he would reach into with the same hand that was just in the sink. Hey, you want some shrimp? No. <laughs> Don't they? Not now. <laughs> no. Well, that's what made them, you know, so so popular. Those shrimp. Shrimp. That and the cat meat and the uh, <laughs> yeah, that right. the tr- trunk full of cat meat. So tell us about your book. <laughs> yeah, we should get to business. Yeah, let's, let's talk about. Yeah. Are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Which and book? I got books. He's got books, but we're talking about your book today. Which book? 
The one that just came out today. Remember you wrote it? Okay, the one about, about Donald Trump. It's uh, basically it's called fake news. President Donald Trump's war with the far left media. And it's, you know, I, I listed about six or seven incidents where the news was obviously wrong. It was fake. It was made up. And then eventually people had to apologize for it. And people were getting sued when they printed fake news. Um, it's basically uh, showing how the media is not what you think it is. People think they read something in a newspaper or if they read something on the Internet that it's true. Oh, I know. It's, it's so bizarre. And it's not. That makes life somebody so difficult. Put, somebody put something on the Internet yesterday on Facebook about that uh, Ocasio, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yeah. that she basically said something like uh, that ISIS woman that uh, wants to come back to the United right. States, she's a bigger hero than our veterans. She never said it. Of course she didn't say Who would say something like that? No, so people, th people on Facebook were sharing that. Oh, I know. And that's the, one of the studies I've been studying is the preemptive strikes against her by making up stories about her. Because they're, you know... Which but is really bizarre because she doesn't she need so any dumb. help. You don't have to make nice. up any stories about her. Just let her burn herself. This yeah. woman is, is, is really stupid. And she's mean and she's taking on Nancy Pelosi now. You don't have to make any fake stuff about it but AOC. Yeah. She'll bury herself. The one that kicked me off was uh, it was always the same source, and uh, the headline is always wrong. The body of the text may have accurate statements, but a lot of people just read the headlines. You know, well, the headline's not written by the writer. You know that, right? Uh, yeah. The headline's written by somebody in the office. So you write a story, and the guy that's the assistant editor that night, he writes the headline. Well, the headline. So a lot of times, it has nothing to do with the story. Yes, yeah, uh, whatever her name is, also Buco Gomez, whatever her name is, says the United States is like Germany. And I go, so I read the actual text of what she said. She never said that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the headline. This. People don't realize this. The, the writer only writes the body of the story. He does not write the headline. Just like authors don't title their own books usually. <laughs> did you title this one, or did uh, your editor title it? The title is "Fake News: President Donald Trump's." War with the Fall of Media, Part One, and I'm working on Part Two. What happens in Part Two? Can you give us a hint? <laughs> More. Well, Part Two. Do you know what I think about the company of the high school student? The guy that was uh, the Indian banged the drum in his face, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everybody said it was the kid's fault. And now he's suing the Washington uh, Post for two hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, that's gonna that that's gonna work out real well for him. The kid, the kid's gonna make a ton of money because the Wall Street. I mean, the Washington Post which is as bad as the New York Times, slandered the kid. And then it comes out with another story saying, well, well they did an investigation, or somebody did an investigation, not them, and they admitted they were wrong. But they already slandered the kid. You think his lawyers don't let them get away with that? No, of course not. Now, the thing is that, as you know, you are a public figure, as am I, as is Howard. But Mark, we're not too sure about. No, we I'm never in public. We can't sue him like that. Because if you're a public right, figure, well, it's well, fair except game. if they write, they, 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 you, we can't sue them unless what they're writing is false. If what they, there's the defamation of character and this land, okay? If you're not a public figure, you can't write anything bad about that person. That's right. But if you are a public figure... But if you're a public figure, you got to write what you wrote. It's got to be the truth. Or how about absence of malice? You can be wrong, but then have an absence of malice. And that's yeah, right. but you, if, I, I can't write about Donald Trump. He's gay. You know, I just can't do it you because know, it's not true. 
Now, I can give my opinion about Donald Trump as a, as a president, but if I write a fact that is not a fact, he can sue me for slander. Yeah. Libel. Even though he's a public figure. It's, it's libel. See, the, the, the bigger the yeah. character, you can't even write if it's true. If you write something that's like, this guy's cheating on his wife. Well, he's not a public figure. You can't write that. No. But if he's a public figure, you can't. Yes. There, there is a website that says there is a website that says that I, Burl Bear, and this show are part of the George W. Bush Saudi royal family Nazi conspiracy. <laughs> Honest to God, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Is my name mentioned there? No, unfortunately, it's not. This is when well, Don, the great, my great Don Oldman was alive. You can sue him if you're not. That's true. You can sue well, him. Well, I, I got hold of the, the editor of this website, and I said... You uh, got no money, though. What are you going to Yeah, I said, well, I said, I want the guy who wrote that article on my show so I have him explain to me how I became part of the George W. Bush Saudi <laughs> Royal Family Nazi Conspiracy. And he says, well, he's afraid that if he flies into Van Nuys, the Van Nuys International Airport, that uh, we'll kidnap him and kill him. Well, that's possible. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of these places are, what's the right word? You can't sue them because they got no money. Yeah. In other words, they can write the most outrageous thing in the world. But if they got no money, what are you going to get? It's like you're in a car accident, and the guy that hits you has no insurance. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? You complain, you weep, you talk about yeah, your electric. You, you, know, you, you got to go after the money. If there's no money, you're screwed. But the Washington Post got a lot of money, and this kid, Sandman, his name is, uh, last name is Sandman, S-A-N-D-M-A-N-N, -N, suing them for $250 million. Plus, his lawyer said, uh, there's more lawsuits to follow. Oh, good. He was slandered by several movie stars. Oh. Rosie O'Donnell slandered him. Oh, Alyssa they took it, they repeated him. the misinformation. They called him names. I mean, the names they called this kid without no evidence whatsoever. I mean, you got to have a little bit, I mean, and that, 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 that's the liberal Hollywood, though. They, they, they get away with everything. And there's a good chance that his lawyer is now going to go after them. Uh, Mark Boyer, is, Mark uh, C.G. Boyer, our fact checker, has a this, uh, question or observation. This right. Mark on the, uh, on the, you know, on the other side of the table here. Um, I'm, uh, as, I, as I watch all of this silliness unfold, regardless of the target, whether it's our president or anyone on the right, uh, I notice that if anyone on the left takes a pragmatic, practical approach to the situation, maybe we shouldn't be spouting these things off until we have all the facts and all the information, and they get literally crapped on until they're no longer employable. Matt Damon... Uh, would be an example. Um, how, how, how it's it's strange. Who's not a Matt Damon's not a Oh, he got he got so raped for for saying, pra, for being practical. Well, I really can't comment on that issue because I don't have all of the facts to make That'd a rational right. choice. And boy, did he get lambasted for something that simple. And I find that fascinating. I find it depressing. Well, the thing about the, about the Covington kid, he had, he had a MAGA hat on, Make America Great hat. If he didn't have that hat on, there never would have been a story. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, let, me, let me give you a quote from Alyssa Milano. She said, the red MAGA hat is a new white hood. Without white boys being able to emphasize, empathize with other people, humanity will continue to destroy itself. Pushing it. How's that? Pushing it. Pushing Actress it. Actress Deborah Messing said... 
He's a mocking, condescending, disrespectful a-hole. Rosie O'Donnell said he was a horrible smoke a-wipe. Now, they should have prefaced it with either saying allegedly or yeah, if this didn't. is true, <laughs> then now, he They is. tweeted all this stuff. Yeah, but okay? they can say whatever they want. They can. Uh, yeah, but he could sue them. Well, maybe, maybe not. Waste well, of time. I wish he would. Because he may be considered a public persona, being as the, the nature of the participation. You Just let it go, man. Yeah. You remember yeah. Kathy Griffith, the, the comedian? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 I remember her. The seven-headed Donald Trump holds yeah. a bloody head. Yeah. 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 You know what she said? She wanted his name, all the, all the kids, they wanted their names released to, to the public. She said, the reply from the school is pathetic and impotent. Name these kids. I want names. Shame them. Again, names, please. And stories from people who can identify them and vouch for their identity. Thank you. How's that? That's called emotionalism run rampant. I mean, you're going to release names of high school kids who did nothing wrong? Yeah, well, they'll do something wrong eventually. We should nip them in the butt. Waste of time. Thank you. Let's move on. It's a waste yeah. of time. Really, I mean, if people don't remember this stuff from one news cycle to the next. The attention well, span uh, is so short. Usually that's right, but this has got legs because of the lawsuit against the Washington Post. Yeah, it's got a lot. It's got legs for the lawyers, but as far as the oh, general public is concerned, they don't even remember it. You bring up the I mean, Holocaust, and they said the hollow what? Well, if he gets twenty-five million, I mean two hundred fifty million, he might get thirty million. The lawyers going to get one, one, one third of that. The lawyers going to get ten million. God, I knew I should have been a lawyer like my brother. Well, you, know, you could have been an author like your your nephew. I, I am, but so we write in different genres. Yeah, well, he, he writes in the one that makes money. Yes, he does. <laughs> I write true crime, Joe. You know what that's like. What's that? I said my nephew writes in a genre that makes money. I, however, write true crime. Yeah, well, you know what you want to make money? Romance novels. Oh, I tried that. Gay novels. Oh, I haven't tried that. LGBT novels. Listen, Joe, I wrote a spec story, novel, whatever, for, uh, what's the big romance novel company? Harlequin. Harlequin. They loved the romance scenes. They loved the sex scenes. The plot, I stole from one of their books from the 50s and just changed the, you know, <laughs> thing. He said, the plot, however, sucks. Oh, well. Who's their plot? I can change the plot. people have different opinions, the same company. But what's that? I'm sure the person that published that in the 50s is long dead. Yeah. So is uh, Pinnacle's a different company than it was before I started working with them. Well, you know, the, fact, I remember when I was still alive. You remember when you were still alive? Yeah. Guys, you got a hell of a memory. <laughs> <laughs> I heard I was listening to the radio in Seattle last time I was up there, and someone was playing this game called Dead or Alive. My name, Pearl Bear, Dead or Alive. <laughs> yeah, did they get it right? Yeah, I know. I had to stop and check my pulse. Oh, okay. M A R B. It's a radio joke. Yes. <laughs> no one laughed. That's uh, because no Because one it wasn't it. funny. Even oh, though that's I, the reason. Even, even though, though you got, got it, it wasn't yeah. funny. Okay. You should have a rule. At least one of you's got to live with the other guy's jokes. No. Oh, no. That's, uh, that would be very difficult. Yeah, I feel me. like Sam Levinson. Wow. <laughs> Sam, Sam Levinson. Boy, that's a long time ago. Yeah, he used to yeah. laugh at all of his own jokes. He used to piss my mom off. So did the uh, Red Skelton. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He and Marcel Marceau had a great conversation. <laughs> Yeah. You know he made a movie once we actually, it was a movie called Silent Movie. Did you ever see Silent Movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mel Brooks. And he said one word. He was the only person in the whole movie that spoke. And it was one word. Do you remember what the one word was? No. 
said Caesar. He says no, and that was that was the only word spoken in the movie. The brilliance of. Uh, uh, what do you call um, Mel Brooks? Blazing Saddles guy. Mel, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. Mel, the brilliance of Mel Brooks. He's my, my favorite of all time. Yeah. Mm. You know what he said the you hardest know, part of making movies is, Joe? Mel Brooks said the that? hardest part of making movies is punching all those little holes along the side of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> little sprockets. Did you ever write any screenplays? What's that? Did we try to get a screenplay published? Uh, published or made? Uh, you, you got to get it made. You, 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 you know, would you want to get somebody to buy an option and then yeah, make a movie? Uh, yeah, I've had that. I got paid the option. That's the hardest. I, I had connections in the business. I couldn't get it done. That's going to be the hardest. They said for every one screenplay that gets made, that gets optioned, not even made for a movie, That's a right. thousand screenplays get rejected. And you know what? There are people in this town, and Howard can attest to this, who have made a lot of money over a period of time without ever having anything made. <laughs> Really, they get the options and yeah. they, they can pocket the money, sure. Yeah, well, uh, everyone in my family, except me, made money on a film that wasn't made. Even as far as renting well, the offices for the, my cousin, <laughs> rented the, was the guy renting the offices to him. The film was shut down because there was an argument between the producer and the director, and the whole thing collapsed like the day before the start, supposed to start shooting. My nephew got paid cosmic bucks. Because he did the screenplay, got paid as consultant, he wrote the original novel that it was based you on. You get paid more once they actually make the movie, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, two, two percent, I think you want to film with a big budget because uh, if they get the film rights to the book, it's 2% of the overall budget. And as uh, what Cecil B. DeMille said, the reason his budget for the Ten Commandments was $10 million in those days was because you can't steal a million out of a million-dollar budget. <laughs> We never, you never take the, the percentage because they have what they call Hollywood finance, Hollywood uh, accounting. Oh, yeah, you, creative. They, they yeah. don't make a profit. Yeah, they, James Gardner sued profit. over that. Well, I wrote a book in 1984 called Revenge on Mulberry Street, and I got it options for a movie. Mm-hmm. I had a guy named Johnny Cha-Cha. He was, in, he was Tony Zanz's manager, and Tony was a fighter. Cha-Cha became an actor. But to make a long story short, he got me like $40,000 in 1985 that's a, for that's an option, three-year option. And I gave him one-third, even though it was just a friend of mine. Uh, nothing got made. I, you know, I made uh, 30 grand. Cha-Cha made 10 grand. I just released a book about six months ago. I, actually, I rewrote it 35 years later. Just because I wanted to rewrite it, because the book never got made, because my agent dropped out of a heart attack. Oh, that slows oh. down your career. So she had the nerve to die on me, and the movie never got made. Yeah. Mm. So I decided in 2018, I, it was in my closet for 35 years, mm. in paper form. I wrote it, and it's out now, Revenge on Mulberry Street, and I, in, in the, on Amazon, in the description, I tell them the story about that. An option for the movie, a lovely agent, the movie never got made, and the book never got published. Well, you know what? This show just died of a heart attack. <laughs> we, we are moving on, Joe. Hey, Joe, thanks a lot. Come, come back. Joe Bruno, always a pleasure. Anytime, anytime. Thank and thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Book hey, Burl. Fake news. What? Burl, uh, what's next?
beer penis. I don't think I like you anymore. You used to watch me shave. Now all you do is stare at the floor. Oh, dear penis, I don't like you anymore. It used to be you and me, a paper towel and a dirty magazine. I don't interrupting obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device and it's all free just go to your friendly app store and search for outlaw radio then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it it's free listen free on the road in your car at the beach or in your backyard it's all free from outlaw radio this is buddy twist saying goodnight from hollywood I miss you so much that I begged you to fly and see me You must have broke down cause you finally said that you would But now that you're here I just feel like I'm constantly dreaming Cause something's gotta go wrong cause I'm feeling way too damn good For 48 hours I don't think that we left my town presentation is parody. Please be a grown-up and accept the following program as it is intended. Some elements of Outlaw Radio may not be suitable for uh, anyone. There may be occasional content that offends you or that you find irrelevant. If that is the case, we are doing our job. Accordingly, listener discretion is advised. 
Outlaw Radio is not for everybody, but neither is Kim Chi. Doohickey, you know, the doohickey that rolls. Hi, this is Meatloaf. Okay, kids, you know what time it is? You know what time it is? It's 